Looking at 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 15. This is God's word, eternally true. The Lord said to him, this is Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put, you, put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elisha, or after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned in the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become and became his attendant. Here is our reading. There's a response of thankfulness. It's printed for you in the bulletin. The word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. As we look at this passage, we are dealing with the concept of authorities and and why would you ever uh, listen to an authority? Um, that was a problem for God's people as First and Second Kings was written. Um, they had not listened to the authorities that God had given them, the prophets. Uh, Moses, who was dead, but his writings still existed, they had not listened. And as uh, was present in the days of Elijah and Elisha, they were going after other gods, of course, strictly prohibited in the law of Moses. And the people uh, during the days of their exile in Babylon, which was the time at which First and Second Kings was, was written, the last event of uh, First Kings we see is the death of Jehoiachin, which probably occurred around 560, 561 in the middle of the exile. And uh, Ezekiel was over there in exile and, and proclaiming God's word and calling the people to faithfulness. Um, yet at the time of, of Daniel and the takeover of Persia in, in uh, 539 BC, when Persia becomes the, the new world power uh, over Babylon, uh, Daniel prays to the Lord and says, we have not repented as we ought to have. And so it remained a problem for God's people in exile. They had not learned the lesson of exile. And so God writes to them the book of First and Second Kings and essentially says, let me remind you or alert you or teach you for the first time why you are here and not back home in Israel in the promised land. And what he communicates to us throughout the book of First and Second Kings, one of the things that, that he faults them for is that they didn't listen to the people he sent to them. He had sent most of the books of the prophets that you have in your Bibles from Isaiah through Malachi. Most of these books are written prior to the exile to Babylon. Uh, you just have a few that are during the exile. Um, you, you've got written for you... Um, uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah during the exile, uh, Daniel and, and a few others come after the exile, but the bulk of them is before the exile and the people had not listened. The prophets were there and they were prophesying, trying to warn the people that exile was coming. That if they did not listen to God's word, which for them was mostly uh, the law of Moses, uh, they had uh, a lot of the Psalms uh, by this time, uh, but if they did not listen to God's word, that they would wind up in exile. But they did not listen to God's word, so they were in exile. So God writes this for us, and it reviews to them how he had given them authorities, proclaimers of his truth, whom he had sent to them uh, for, their own, for their own good. Um, but why do we listen to anybody um, today? Uh, regardless of what it is, religious or non-religious, uh, non-religious things. Maybe we listen to somebody because 
they're an expert who's proved themselves in, in the field. If Michael Jordan gave me basketball tips, I would listen. Um, uh, maybe they love us well. Uh, my roommate in college um, loved people well. He really cared for people. And so um, he was a believer. And so that was a good thing, too. Um, people listened to him uh, really well because they knew Rob cares for me. Um, there can be lots of reasons that, that we listen uh, to authorities, especially in the church, those who proclaim God's word. And so we talk about that this morning. Uh, what needs to be true of authorities and why do we listen to them um, as, as we live our, our Christian lives? So um, a few things for us as we uh, go along here. If you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that. You can just listen if you want to. Uh, the first point here is just the review of last week. And if you weren't able to be here last week or listen to it yet and point one interests you, you can look back at that. We're just going to fill in a couple blanks and, and get to point two. Um, so what we looked at with this passage last week was this, that God ordains human authorities. God ordains human authorities for his people. Um, it's not just um, just me and my Bible. It's not just, uh, just me and Jesus, as is very popular to say today, especially as Americans, very independent. And I'll pick my, but when we do this, we're, we're coming very close to, um, creating a God in our own image, right? I'll pick for me what I, what I want. Um, but, uh, uh we, we don't do that. God ordains human authorities for his people. Second line there for you. God ordains elders in the church. Those are the human authorities he gives to his people. Elders in the church and their job, what he assigns to them and holds them to account for is to lovingly oversee. Those are your two blanks there. To lovingly oversee your life. Now, uh, from that, that was last week. From that, we go on and, and we say, um, what does God say to us beyond that from this text? What was he communicating to people in exile? He, he says this with faithful elders, with faithful elders, listen. That's your blank with faithful elders. Listen to them because their self-interest is minimal. Um, with elders in the church, listen to them because their self-interest is minimal. Um, now, some of these things, as we go down A, B, and so forth, will be uh, true more so for ruling elders. Some will be uh, true for more so for teaching elders. Some of them will be true for both. As we look at elders in the church, it's the human authorities that, that he ordains. Um, but first of all, what's true for all elders, ruling and teaching, um, what an elder does, he does for the sake of God's people. Uh, it's a big principle for us that we see uh, both in Old Testament Israel and that we see in the New Testament as well. What an elder does, he does for the sake of God's people. He doesn't take on the role. Uh, he doesn't take on the role because it's easy or it will enable him to do lots of uh, fun things. Uh, what it essentially means for an elder to take on the role of elder as he's ordained to that office is inconvenience. Uh, that's not a blank for you yet. Um, uh, but it's inconvenience uh, to take on the role of an elder. And so now here we go. A, there we go. I could feel that tension building. <laughs> A, um, listen to your um, God-given elders, to faithful elders, because what a man does as a ruling elder is not for himself, but for others for you, or you can write in there for me. What an elder does in his role of, as elder is not for himself, but for others. It's an other-centered job. It's defined as doing things for others. That's the role. Um, boy, I had a little image of Monk there. He's the guy. That's the role uh, there that, that, that the elder has. That's what he picks up. Do you want to be doing things, expending effort for others? And so realize that as you're in a church, whether it's this church or another church, uh, as the, the um, 
uh, title of this uh, gospel exhortation is God gives faithful elders for you. They're there for your sake and they pick up the job for you and not for themselves. Um, we see in Acts 20, 20 um, that Jim read for us. Uh, Paul is talking to the elders in the church at Ephesus and he says, you know, he had been in Ephesus three years and he revisits them in Acts chapter 20. And, and he says to them after he's been away for a while, he's gathered the elders. He says this, you know that I have not hesitated to, hesitated to preach anything that I particularly liked. No, he doesn't say that. Um, that I uh, did not hesitate anything that was to my personal advantage and made you bow down to me. No, he doesn't say that either. He says, you know, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Recognize that about Scripture, too. The reason a book of Scripture is written is because God's people need something that would be helpful to them right at the time that that book was written. So, First and Second Kings, what was helpful to them? To realize that uh, exile comes, punishment comes, the curse of God, not the blessing of God, comes from not listening to the authorities that God has assigned for his people. Uh, but, but an elder, as Paul demonstrated, he said, when I was with you those three years, I did not hesitate to preach and teach anything that would be helpful to you. So if you needed it, I gave it to you, even if it made you a little bit mad with me for a little bit. Or even if it upturned your life for a little bit. Even if I knew you wouldn't like this, I did not hesitate to preach it because it was helpful to you. If you're a parent, if you're a good parent, you know there are things you tell your kids that they're not going to like, but will be helpful to them. And if you refrain, if you hesitate from telling them that helpful thing, then you do that to their peril. You do that to their um, negation or, or uh, to, for their bad. Uh, and so we as parents have to, to put off, or, or as a boss, you have to put off the desire to be liked in order to say things that will be good for those who are under, under your care. And so Paul reemphasizes, says, you're, you're my witnesses. I was with you for three years. I never hesitated at telling you anything that was good for you. And so that's what a, an elder does. When an elder picks up the job, he, he's, he's signing on to this, to speak the things from God's word, God's truth that will be good for you. So recognize this and embrace this in the elders that you have in the church. First um, Peter 5, 2, Jim also read this for us. Be shepherds of God's flock. Now, Peter has just said to the elders among you. He's got a little section there, four verses, five, or four verses there, where he's talking just to the elders of these churches in these five regions of what's today Turkey. Um, and he says uh, to them, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, um, so, so the elder's job is to care for you. Okay, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing. So, so elders are people who said, I'm willing to do for others what's good for their souls, what's good for their lives. Um, as God wants you to be willing and not greedy for money, not to get, but to serve, Peter says. This is why you take on the role of elder. Not to be greedy for, for money or, or fame or honor or any of those things that Jesus criticized the Pharisees for, right? They love to pray on the street corners and to wear robes and to sit at the places of honor at the table. That's not the way it is with God's leaders. Uh, but, but elders, um, what they take on uh, when they say, okay, I submit to this, is, is they do this for others. That's the whole job. The whole job is working for others, for the sheep that Jesus has bought with his, with his blood. So an elder's taken on the role, not for himself, but for the sake of you, for your well-being. So listen for him as he cares for you and instructs you according to God's word. 
Okay, so listen to him as he cares for you and, and instructs you according to God's word. Um, now, B, B, um, listen to the authorities God puts in place for you, ordained elders in the church, whether they be teaching a ruler, ruling elders, because each elder will be called to account, will be called to give an account for the condition of the people under his care, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 2. The sheep are under your care, Peter says to the elders. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 17 says to the people, he says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Listen to what they're saying. Follow along, not because they do it by whim, but he gives a reason. He says, because they keep over watch, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Why do you obey and submit to your authorities? Why do you listen to your authorities? Because they're men who know they have to answer to Jesus for the condition of your soul. And that if they give you advice that is biblically inaccurate and you walk in it, they will suffer for that. And they, having given the advice, will have to give answer for it. So, you know, even in Sunday school this morning, we were we were talking about some different things with one of the catechism questions we were going over, you know, and you, you heard me said, you know, well, well, we don't do that because, you know, there's not Bible for that. And what we're, what we're sure on, what we put our feet on and what I will teach you with certainty is what's there in God's word. And if it's less than certain, then we're going to say, well, maybe, but don't build a church on that <laughs> don't create a new congregation over that don't create a new denomination over that because i have to give an account for that as you're asking me questions or elders as you ask them questions they have to give an account for the advice that you give and, and um and so we we really take that we really take that to heart um so an elder when he takes on the job it means they're they're um keeping watch over you, giving an, as men who must give an account, they'll engage in prayer for you because they know that, that if they pray for you and the well-being of your soul, your soul will be in good, good condition. And, and, and they won't have to answer to Jesus, well, this, these sheep I put under your care and they asked for prayer in these areas. And these areas they didn't ask for prayer for, but why weren't you praying for this for them? Uh, so, so elders are, are, are you know, we're, we're, uh, we have to give an account to Jesus up and up and above, like James says, you know, let not many of you be teachers for they incur a stricter judgment. And if you look at the first uh, uh, Timothy five about all elders, they must be able to teach. And, and so we keep these things in mind. We engage in prayer for you, the people of the church, um, and praying for you, for an elder, as we must give an account for you, is no longer a volunteer activity. Okay, and that's what that's what's true of ordination, whether you're ordained to be a deacon or ordained to be an elder. When you're ordained, what we tell you in officer's training is you go from, oh, you're helping set up chairs, thank you, to you're a deacon, of course, that's your job. When you're an elder in the church, it's no longer, oh, you're praying for the people. You know, that that's great. If you as a member of the church are praying for your brothers and sisters and tell me, yeah, I've been praying for this or praying for that. You know, I've got some of you say, you know, I prayed for you this week. And I say, oh, wonderful, great. But uh, if you're an elder in the church, that's your job. It's your job to shepherd people. Um, and, and, and so that, that's the distinction with being an officer in the church. You're no longer a volunteer, whether you're paid or not. I'm a paid, I'm a, I get paid for my job. The deacons and elders don't get paid for their jobs, but, but they do this. They're no longer, it's no longer for an elder, a volunteer thing that they shepherd you. It's no, no longer a volunteer thing that they, they know the sheep. It's no longer like because a shepherd knows his sheep like Jesus does. It's no longer a volunteer thing that they pray for you. They do this by contract when hands were laid upon them at their ordination, elders do. Deacons serve no longer as when they're able to, but they move things out of the way because their job 
is to serve in the church. But with elders, listen to them. Um, because elders know that if they give you sloppy, inaccurate biblical advice, your life will be affected and they will have to give an account for that. More so than, than you who have just followed the advice, trusting. So, so trust what they're saying because they bear this in mind that they must give an account. Um, now, see, see. Um, for elders who are also pastors, or as Paul puts it in First Timothy 5.17, elders who are specially called to teach and preach, um, who are also called pastors, or shepherd, these uh, past, uh, pastors in the church. Um, here's what gives a pastor credibility to you, so that you're listening to him makes sense. Okay, so we're qualifying here, and you'll hear qualifications as we talk about this. But see, because a pastor has often left much for me, because a pastor has often left much for me to teach you the Bible for the good of your life, listen. Listen, because this is someone who's left much. We see this in this passage. This is something that every commentator, and I've got a, I've got a theologically liberal commentary on this, even he says it. Uh, but the, the conservative ones do as well. Study Bibles all point this out. You know, if you're if you're an Israelite in, in Israel, if you have a yoke of oxen, which means two two oxes, and and a yoke is the wooden thing you put over them that you put the the reins on, and then the the oxen have a plow behind them there, and you're plowing your field. You've got some wealth if you've got two oxen and 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 a yoke. But Elisha comes from a family. How many oxen do they have? Right? Did you see it there? What verse is that in? He's uh, duh, 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 duh. Verse 19. Look at verse 19. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. So that means 24 oxes. 24 oxen. And, and he's plowing. And, and Elisha himself, being a child in the family, part of the family business, is, is helping out there. And he's, he's plowing with the, the 12th set. Okay? Um, but uh, uh, the twelfth of the twelfth pair, so number twenty-three and twenty-four. Um, so Elijah here, he, he's not just somebody who's, who's taken to the office of prophet because you know he was basically a bum that no one respected, and this was a step up for him. Elisha takes a step down to be an authority over God's people, a prophet for God's people to tell them God's word. He leaves much. And so what's he do? And, and he leaves it. He really leaves it. He says, okay, Elijah, I'm, I'm, I'm following you. And, and I, I thought I was going to work with my dad. And, and so he goes and he kisses his mom and dad goodbye. He doesn't know now that he's following God, if God will ever leave him, lead him back to his village to preach and to teach. And so he goes and kisses them goodbye. And it's kind of a maybe this is final. So he leaves, the, he leaves his mom and dad. He leaves his family business. Uh, he even takes his oxen there. And, and he, he, uh, cuts, he cuts up the yoke and uses that wood. And, and he cuts up the oxen. And he, he gives a feast because he loves those who've been working for his mom and dad. That he's been working side by side as an, as an heir to the estate. So Elisha gives up um, it, what he would inherit there as, as the heir to the estate. Um, because God's more important to him. And God's people are, are more important uh, to him. And so, and so we see this. Uh, he kisses his mom good, and dad goodbye. You know, he says to Elijah here, I think this is what, what's going on. We see it in his subsequent actions. Elijah, I'm coming with you. Um, you know, Elijah's placed his mantle on Elisha, a symbol of authority. We talked about that last week. You can go back and get more of that by, by listening to that. But it, you know, he says, okay, so I'm God's guy to succeed you, Elisha. Okay, I am coming and I'm really coming. And, and so he doesn't do like Andy does in the office, but he goes and he, 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 he uh, burns his, burns his ox or cuts his oxen up and, and creates a feast and burns the, burns the yoke. And he comes and follows uh, Elijah. Um, so he's left much. Um, this is not, this is not unusual. What's Moses leave to follow, to lead God's people? Everything. Uh, the, the, the title Prince of Egypt on that DreamWorks movie 
is right. Um, why does Moses leave Egypt in the, in the first place? Because he's trying to deliver the people. But the people reject him. Uh, but then it's known that, that Moses has stood on the side of, of the Jews instead of the side of the Egyptians, having protected Jewish person from his Egyptian slave master. And that means Moses loses everything. He loses his position as, as prince of Egypt and, and, and heads outward. This was not a step up for Moses to be leader of the slaves. Being leader of the Egyptians, the uh, reigning world power at the time, was a much better position for him. Right? But we see this with Paul as well, don't we? In, in, in uh, uh, Philippians 3. Paul was an up and rising star. We see it in, at the end of Acts 6 and Acts 7. Uh, we see it as Paul recounts his life as he's talking to the Corinthians. He was an up and rising star, a student of Gamaliel, one of the highest priests in Jerusalem. And instead, he leaves all that because he's convinced that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That Jesus who had appeared, Jesus whom he was persecuting, was God himself and he leaves everything behind and he calls it rubbish. He says, I'd rather suffer for Jesus than have the glory I used to have. All that glory is rubbish. All these oxen, rubbish. All these yoke, rubbish. He doesn't call, Elisha doesn't call his parents rubbish, but I'll leave them too if that's what God calls, calls me to do. Um, so Paul does this we see this with Jesus' um, calling of his disciples, don't we? James and John, Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter are brothers. James and, and John are brothers. And these are family businesses that they're part of. Fishermen and their two families were in partnership with each other. And Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Take on a job that's not for you. Take on a job that is pulling people out of the, the lake like this Sea of Galilee that is a lake of destruction. See the, the parallel there. What, you're do, what I'm calling you to do is to live your life for other people and to fish them out of the lake of fire through the preaching of me, the gospel. I want you to live your life for me. I want you to live your life following me, walking in my steps, proclaiming this message. And what do we have? They left everything and followed him. Okay, like Elisha, like Moses. And then, you know, just a little later in the chapter, Jesus comes upon Levi or Matthew. Uh, Levi's his, his Jewish name. Matthew's his, his uh, um, Greek name or his Roman name. And, and, uh, and Levi has this lucrative job. He's a tax collector. We know from Zacchaeus that you could not only skim off the top, but you could, you know, charge people a lot more for their, you owe this much in tax when you knew that Rome only required this amount and you took this amount. And so Levi leaves this lucrative position and Jesus says, come, follow me. He's literally in his tax booth and he leaves it. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. For the sake of himself, no. He takes, he takes a, a, a pay grade. <laughs> uh, that's humorous to think about. He takes a, a pay, uh, what do you call it? A cut. He takes a pay cut um, uh, for the sake of other people. To be fishers of men, not a gatherer of coins for his own bank account. To be destitute, perhaps, for the sake of others in proclaiming, in proclaiming the gospel. Um, so for some... Maybe many pastors, this is true. Uh, they, they've left behind, like Matthew, more lucrative uh, jobs, a more prestigious career. Um, they left most of them, and at least in the PCA, you got to be a college graduate. Um, you got to have a, a three-year Master of Divinity degree. You know, and so everyone who's a pastor in the PCA, that's as, much, that's as much education as a lawyer. A lawyer gets four years of undergrad and three years in law school. If you're an MBA, you get two years for an MBA beyond that. So an uh, MBA has six years, a lawyer has seven years, a pastor has seven years of education beyond high school. Okay, so at least in the PCA, that's true. And in lots of denominations, uh, that's true. But, 
But these folks that, that go into, typically if you go into getting an MBA, you've taken a business degree in your undergrad. So that all counted for something, four years for something. Um, if you get a law degree, you've probably majored in something that has something to do with that, political science or English or history or something that were common um, degrees that my, my friends who went to law school uh, got. Uh, but, you know, there's not much you do with a pre-dental uh, four-year degree um, when you go into pastoral ministry or that kind of thing. You kind of just leave that behind. And, and, um, and so pastors have, have done that. They left behind education and, and, and uh, position and that, that kind of thing um, for something else, uh, perhaps. Not always the case. Um, sometimes a pastor is in a position that's, uh, and being a pastor is a higher position than what he would have had um, had he had he um, uh, gone into a secular uh, profession. Uh, but perhaps they're like Elisha, who've left a family business and something a little more lucrative and why to serve God's people. At the picnic a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was talking with a couple of you, and I was talking. I talked with Tim Inman about this too. Um, you know, it's it's sometimes the case, and here's a big qualification. Sometimes the case, a pastor is a pastor because he thinks that would be a cool thing to do. Beware of such men. <laughs> One, they probably won't last more than two years in pastoral ministry uh, because then they see what, what it's about. Uh, and if they don't understand what it's about, pretty soon people are going to discard them as an inadequate pastor because they're not doing their job. Um, but, but if someone thinks being a pastor is a cool thing, they're probably not a very good pastor. Uh, if that's why they went into pastoral ministry. If they like being a big fish in a small pond, which is what can happen for somebody. Somebody can grow up and say, ooh, man, that'd be cool to be a pastor because then all these people would, you know, I'd be the one talking and people would be looking at me. Um, and, and then you want to beware of folks like that because, you know, if they've gone into it for that, if, if pastoral ministry is a step up for them, beware. Now, sometimes it's a step up for somebody and they're, going in it for all the right reasons and they'll be a fantastic pastor. But you just want to beware. Tim Emin and I talk about it with, uh, with church musicians. <laughs> church musicians, we think 80% of them, not these folks up here, and you'll know why when I say it in a minute, usually they're frustrated rock and roll musicians who wanted a career as Kiss or uh, Led Zeppelin. And they weren't good enough to make it in the bars and onto stage. And so they find they can be a big musician fish in a small pond of a church. And that's why you have fog and lights in churches. It's not for the sake of the people worshiping. It's for the sake of the people here who are frustrated musicians who didn't get to do that in the lives of their broken dreams. <laughs> but the same thing, the same thing is true for pastors, too, um, that that. When a person's in it because he thinks it'll be cool to be a pastor, those were the guys Tim and I had in seminary who weren't studying that much, who saw their seminary degree as just a punch card, you know, to, to, to get the license so that they could be a pastor. And they weren't paying attention because they knew they just had to kind of slough by, who arrive at a presbytery for their ordination exams unprepared because they just want to be the center of attention in a church. And they don't care about the truth of God or think that's important for God's people. So it's always a good question um, to ask somebody who comes into is going into pastoral uh, ministry or somebody who wants to be a pastor. Um, why are you heading into pastoral ministry? Is it for the sake of God's people? Is it for the sake of unbelievers? Do you believe they need to know Christ? Are you going into pastoral ministry so that unbelievers will need to know Christ um, for their now, for their eternity? Are you headed into pastoral ministry because God's word is true? Um, are you headed into pastoral ministry because you're convinced Jesus is the only way and people will perish for eternity apart from Jesus? Are you becoming a pastor because God's people with God's word rightly taught will mess up their lives in big and little ways to their detriment and you give a rip? Are you going into pastoral ministry because you care 
that people are, are, are doing things that they, they, they think are right because they're being mistaught and it's ruining their relationships with their mom and dad. It's ruining their relationships with their brother and sister and with their kids. It's ruining their relationships with their boss and it's giving them a bad witness in society because they've been mistaught. Are you going into pastoral ministry so that God's people will give Jesus glory by what they're doing and saying and what their attitude is for toward other people? Are you going into pastoral ministry because if people don't know God, they'll lose joy in their lives? And because they won't, as Jesus says in John 10, experience life to the full or abundant life. Are you going into a pastoral ministry because you look in the landscape, and this is what we were talking about at the picnic with a couple of you. You look at the landscape of the church in America and say, people are eating Fritos out there and they're trying to survive on it. And they think that that's great. Because they're looking, they're eating jelly beans. And that's what they're trying to survive on in their spiritual lives. And God gives us meat and vegetables. I know some of you don't like vegetables, but they're good for you. Eat them. <laughs> There's all this nutrition in God's word. You know, are, 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 are you, as someone going into pastor ministry, are, are you concerned that you won't be able to teach in all of God's word all, all the chapters of all the Bible before you die. Because you'll have a congregation that you couldn't preach it all to before, you're, before you can't put thoughts together in your head and have to get out of pastoral ministry. Um, are you concerned and going to be a pastor because God is not getting the glory that he deserves on this earth? Because you see evolutionary theory and, and it, it makes you sad because people are, are, are not giving glory to God who creates all these things, who's holding these people together and blessing them. I think Elijah and Elisha are in this category. They're not into it for earthly perks, right? Elijah knows all the trouble this brings to him. He knows what it's doing to him emotionally to proclaim to God's people what's true. And Elisha knows it. He probably knows what's gone on for Elijah. Um, and he runs to be with them. Um, you should listen to God's prophets, the readers of this text here. I should be listening to Ezekiel now. That's not to his benefit. This was not a step up for him. Um, so realize this about many pastors and realize that if that's true, um, it's another reason to listen. A pastor may have left a lot, money, more respectable career, prestige, dreams of a different future growing up, uh, or walking into something else that would be more respected. Um, know that he may have left all these things to be with you, to teach you, to lead you, to guide you by God's word for your good. Um, but realize that in the church, uh, uh, the ruling elders and teaching elders of the church, they're not the stars. The stars of the church are Jesus. And that's why we read Philippians 2. Um, you know what Paul's doing? You know what Moses is doing? You know what Elijah and Elisha are doing? It's just reflecting what Jesus did. Um, you know um, who really left a lot? for your sake. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 2, right? Jesus left the glory of heaven um, and not for glory on earth. Jesus left the glory of heaven to humiliate himself um, as a servant, um, even humbling himself by a death on the cross. That's why Jesus came. Uh, Matt, or Mark uh, 4, or I'm jumbling my numbers. Mark 10:45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, when he agreed with the Father and said, yes, I will go to save a people that you're going to give me. But if I go, <laughs> I will go. Jesus was agreeing to the cross. 
He was not surprised by it. Um, all the Old Testament talked about how he would be rejected by men. Right? Isaiah 53 famously says this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus left heaven to be acquainted with grief. Something uh, for which, now I'm thinking Shrek, he would be unfamiliar as the uh, Prince Charming says. Right? Is that right? Prince Charming? Um, okay. But the pastor and ruling elders are not the star of the show. Jesus is. When we come, we, when we come to the church, we give attention. We give attention to this: that Jesus left everything for you. Um, and so, when we look to elders in the church, we realize they are ministering in His stead. Um, they are, and they're modeling their ministry as Paul did, as Peter did of leaving whatever I need to leave behind because I'm willing no longer to be a volunteer, to shepherd when it's convenient for me, to teach when it's convenient for me, to be there when I need to be there when it's convenient for me. But I'm, I'm willing to do this as, as my job. Um, so uh, D there, uh, listen because your elders reflect Jesus. Listen because they reflect Jesus and are serving his good purpose. They're serving his good purpose um, not their own, but Jesus' good purpose, that you might have life now and life eternally that is full, John 10.10. 10. Jesus' desire for you is that you might have not only eternal life, but have a life that's abundant now or full now. So now an app another application on this point, uh, besides why it makes sense to listen to elders because they've taken on the job uh, for you, for your sake, that's the whole job for your sake. But another point in this three, select, select pastors and ruling elders who are in it for God's glory, not theirs. And for the good of your two blanks, Christ's sheep. They're in it for God's glory and not theirs and for the good of Christ's sheep and not for themselves. So if you move away or when I die and you're still here in this church um, and having to serve for the next pastor or when you're given the next opportunity, a period of nominations for uh, ruling elders in the church, um, think on these things. Ask um, of candidates, why did you want to become a pastor or why are why would you want to be a ruling elder? I'm thinking about nominating you to be a ruling elder. Um, would you think about this? Why would that make sense for you? Um, is it for the glory of God? Is it for the sake of God's people? Um, for a pastor, you want to ask the question, um, is this just a, is this a career for you? And is this church a career step for you to get to a bigger church? To get to a place of more glory, to get to a place where you'll be recognized and have more control and more people under you, or do you care about such things at all? That's a good question. Uh, it's a good question to ask. Um, so we want to ask these things. What would be your motive in pursuing the office of ruling elder? Uh, we don't want to hear the now. No one's going to answer. Power and attention. <laughs> Uh, but you, you want to kind of hear that in the subtext, if that would ever be the case. Hopefully it wouldn't be. Um, is it to fulfill a psychological deficit you have in your life because your mom and dad didn't treat you well and they dressed you funny? Okay. Some people want leadership for that. They need that. They need affirmation that they didn't get growing up. And so I know pastors who struggle with that. They struggle with leadership and being a leader in the church as a pastor because they didn't have affirmation growing up and they struggle with people pleasing uh, because they need affirmation for others. So you, you want to think about these things, um, why people um, would seek the office of elder, whether it's ruling or teaching. You want to hear things like, I love God's word and I think... Uh, um, the, the blessing comes to God's people when they understand it more. Blessing comes to God's people when they understand who more Jesus, more who Jesus is and how they can be like him. 
Um, I want to be an elder in the church because I want to help guide people according to God's word so that their, their lives are better, so that they love him, so that they, they know him. Um, so declaration of the gospel, look there um, on the front side of your bulletin there. Jesus, uh, verse 42, Jesus called his disciples together. I want you to hear this. Is it, these are the first elders of the church, his disciples, the twelve. Okay, and this is what he says to them. He calls them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are lording over them, their high officials. So it's two layers here he's talking about. Okay, so those who are, uh, are, are rulers of the Gentiles lorded over the people and the people who are lording over them, their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. It's not about a hierarchy. It's not about having authority and having people under you. Instead, verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave at all. And Jesus goes to in the next verse to, to talk about how he's the example of this. The slave of all. What do the, what do the people need? What do they need the servant to do? Well, to humble himself as a servant, Philippians 2, by, being a, by suffering a death on a cross for their sins. And, and so this is, this is what we call an elder, uh, an elder to do, to be a servant and to be excited about serving God's people in shepherding them instead of seeing shepherd as authority, as, as boss, um, even though they're called to have authority and to lead people, but it's leading with the idea of how can we best serve people? How can we best serve those who are in the church? So in the church, who he who leads by being a servant, that's what you want in being uh, in an elder teaching of ruling. And men like those are the men to whom you should listen. Um, individuals who are not in leadership for power or greedy for money, as Peter puts it, um, or importance, uh, but for you. Uh, they're in it for you. Um, select them because they'll be there for you. The exiles had one to three prophets God wanted them to listen to, and one particularly prominent, Ezekiel. He wasn't there to be liked, nor to receive attention and prominence, and he wasn't in it for that. He was there because God ordained him to be there for God's sake and for the people's sake. Um, and the people were to listen to him. For he, like Elisha, uh, was one, uh, Ezekiel was actually from priestly stock. Um, and, and so that was kind of the highest ecclesiology you could be. But he takes that up for the more lowly office of prophet in exile. He was there for the people. And the people were to listen to him. Um, he had left much, um, and he spoke to purify God's people in exile for their good. So elders in the church, uh, teaching and ruling elders. Um, in our church, let me tell you this, our elders are there for the right reasons. Um, there's great humility on our elder um, uh, grouping uh, there. And they're very concerned about being accurate to God's word. As they, they tell people things, they come back to me and say, I, I said this, was this right? Um, and, and because we're very concerned about the account we will give for you. Uh, we do pray for uh, these guys pray for these requests that you ask and put, you know, elders only on those things. This is very heavy uh, concern for us as we as we meet uh, together and, and uh, a long time in our elders meetings that we have each month. We met yesterday uh, morning it is spent on, on talking about shepherding issues and things in your life and what's going on in your lives and and praying for you. We we go through the whole directory and we just we just walk down through it. We're not ashamed to open our eyes and just keep track. And we just walk down alphabetical. So the workmen's are last and the Beamans are first. And um, <laughs> then we walk down and all your names are on that. And we're praying and we're, we're talking about this. It takes us a long time before we even start praying for you because we're going down each clump of names, each family group in our directory and saying, what are the issues in their lives and how can they use prayer and what's going on 
uh, for them. And so just I, I say that as your pastor and I say to them at the end of every pastor's meeting, just about if I have my wherewithal, I said it yesterday. I'm so glad for you guys being the ruling elders I get to serve with uh, because I, I, I talk to other pastors and I know that um, not all pastors have this and not all congregations uh, have this. Men who are, are humble and, and they're uh, for service and not for attention. Service to you folks. And, um, and, and they're, they're, uh, we've got largely uh, introverts among us um, there too. Uh, uh, Steve and I had a good discussion about introverts. We gather introverts in our church largely. We have a few who don't and we're very grateful for them. Um, in, in our church, uh, but yeah, so 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 we listen and we trust and we follow as they follow Christ. And that's always a big you know thing for us that we we say you know don't don't follow me, don't follow our ruling elders if we're telling you to do something that's not backed up by the scriptures. Um, so you know if you you uh, ask me a question by email or ask me a question in Sunday school. It may take a while for me to get through my answer because I want you to know for sure that this is backed up in five different places from Scripture. I want you to have that confidence. And I, I'm not just telling you, here's what I think based on this one verse that I haven't had much thought about. Because <laughs> you may be basing some of your life off of this. And, and we think this way on our uh, among our elders. And you always want to um, get advice from elders that are backed up by the scriptures and you want that to make sense for you. And so, and also feel free to say, how does that match up with this other place in scripture? And, and you want to hear a satisfactory an answer with that. Um, so the only reason our elders receive this cloak and an elder should receive the cloak on their shoulders, so to speak, like Elisha did, um, and ran after Elijah, leaving other things behind inconveniencing themselves is because they reverenced God, they care for his church, they love his son Jesus, and they've submitted to the service of, of helping you. Um, so your summary, your summary. Um, Jesus ordains Jesus ordains elders in the church as an extension of himself, leading by serving and doing what you need for your benefit, that you can have joy in the Lord in your life today. And uh, next line there, when elders are in place who have my interest as the reason for receiving the role, when elders are in place who have your interest for uh, receiving the role, um, you should listen, listen to their biblical teaching. Hear the qualification there. Listen to their biblical teaching so that you can be purified to be more like Jesus. Um, Paul says one of the duties of a husband is to wash his wife with the water of the word, <laughs> to be bringing the Bible to his wife so that she's washed and purified and able to be presented to Jesus as more pure than she would have been had he not been her husband. And this is the role that shepherds or elders in the church have for you to wash you. That's why we talk about drenching you in scripture during the service. It's to wash you by the water of the word that you might be uh, purified and a beautiful bride for Jesus for that day when you see him face to face. Let's pray.